You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. And Jameis to air it out. Looking forward to Sean Jackson. And it's intercepted by BWF. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan. I'm your host, the football grump. And with me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Grump, we have to count our blessings. In that we're not Jet fans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we are not Jet fans. Uh, you know, at least the Giants have begun the rebuild. The Jets have supposedly been past the rebuild and been telling us that they're actually ready to start doing things. And I don't know. We really couldn't tell the difference between what we saw in the same building on back-to-back nights. Ooh, I think one performance was a little bit better than the other. That would be ours. Yeah. To be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, anytime – until the Jets do something on the field, uh, anything they say can just be met with just make sure that your mortgage payment is on time. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We want the rent payment on time. We want the stadium. We need to go into default so we don't have to you know, live in a cardboard box in Central Park. So please get that payment in on time. Yeah. Um. Man, what a putrid performance. Uh, and, and, and any – in any event, the, the Giants fell to the Arizona Cardinals 27-21, um, but not not in any way remotely the fashion that the Jets fell to New England, whatever it was, 33-0. Um, and even if there were mistakes, some of it could be blamed at least on the weather for the Giants game. Yeah, uh, you know, I think this is one of those games where we've said all along that, you know, with a young team, you're going to see weeks where we – look better than others. And this was a week where we clearly looked behind, you know, it's unfortunate that things like the offensive line has been in regression mode lately. Daniel Jones has not played as well as he has in his first couple of games and you met add in the bad weather and, you know, it got all kind of manifested itself with kind of one of those, you know, embarrassing losses that kind of the immediacy of it and the sting of it, shrouds still what the Giants are doing and where they are on their long-range horizon and where they should be right now. This is a game that I think the Giants should have won, um, not just you know because we predicted it and felt that way at the beginning, but even after watching it, a lot of opportunity left on the field. Um, and there is uh, a, a decent amount of outcry from Giants fans. They, they felt that this game should have been won as well, but I think the finger-pointing has gotten a little out of control here, and it's going – off into places I'm not sure it belongs. Um, I think the jump ship fan is going a little crazy on some people that don't quite deserve it after this game. You know, if I encourage people to rewatch this game and look at it in segments, you know, you look at the first quarter of this game, look at the second quarter, third quarter, and the first half of the fourth quarter, and then look at the second half of the fourth quarter, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, the first quarter, right? I don't think you could have scripted it any worse. No. And, you know, a lot of it was on the defensive side. I mean, the fact is we were getting gashed in the in their running game. And that's what was kind of frustrating. That's not as much as coaching is just as much as execution. Exactly. And, yeah. That that, that is of- 100% what I'm going to say. I mean, I I can't tell you how often I saw Betcher's name slide up on my Twitter feed and Watch the game. You know, you you tell me the players aren't at fault. I said it when we went into this. It was an assignment football game. 
And you, you could see it, you know, three-yard gain, four-yard gain, 11-yard gain, and it's just one guy not getting off his block or in the wrong spot leaving a giant hole. I mean, this is a, you know, a very college running game. This is comes down to guys knowing where they're supposed to be and making the play. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you're right. You, you can have the scheme all you want. You can game plan for it. But at the end of the day, you have to, you know, beat your man. You have to tackle. You have to do your job. And you can't use the, well, we're rebuilding as an excuse. When you're in the trenches, you have to shed the blocker. You have to make your tackle. And we didn't see a lot of that against a running game, which, again, we're not facing Saquon Barkley. We're not facing Jim Brown. You know, it's, We're facing a, a running back off the street, basically. And that's what was very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, for for all the talk about how bad the defense played, I think it's important to take it in those segments, like I said. And, you know, the Cardinals strung together two long drives for touchdowns to start the game, and they were ugly. And then, well, one long drive and then immediately off the turnover. You know, they have, they have a short field. It doesn't take much to score again, and you, suddenly you're behind 14 nothing already. And then they, we, we, uh, we see... The Cardinals uh, start marching down the field for a third when they get stopped, right? Uh, and a field goal happens. And that's immediately where you see a switch. So Chase Edmonds, for all the praise that he got in this game, had 126 yards on the ground. You know, that, I mean, that's a fantastic stat. Three touchdowns, that's crazy. I'll break it down for you. The second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter, he totaled 43 yards on the ground. Which means in the first quarter he did all of his damage, right? But that's when it's that's when it's a game, and that's when it's kind of important to you know setting tone and stuff. When you're playing, I agree, constantly behind. You know, we're not gonna. You know, I, I guess there's small moral victories in what they did the rest of the game, but to come out of the gates and and be that, you know, blown off the line of scrimmage, and he was running through some big holes too. It wasn't that's like he was making, exactly. Yeah, they weren't amazing runs. They were just oh look. <laughs> Nobody's here. The line was just gashed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just guys not where they were supposed to be. I think it's important to credit Betcher for turning it around. You know, we've seen it week in and week out where we, we, we have a defensive adjustment and suddenly they're in the game. Now, in this case, I don't think there was an adjustment so much as a guys, what did we practice? And then you could see it, you know, one yard gain, nine yard gain, three yard gain, 22 yard gain, minus one, 11, minus four, minus one, minus seven. It's just a get your head in the game thing. And and even more credit to him, Kyler Murray is 104 yards in the air. That's pathetic. Those are high school numbers. I'm not going to get overly excited because this is still Arizona. This is a below average team with a no, 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 no. I, I'm not pre- yeah. pretty dreadful with a pretty dreadful offensive line. I mean, to getting back to a point where. You're containing a bad offense is, you know, I get your point. But well, my point is simply, I'm not blowing sunshine victory. up his ass. No, no, no. Th- yeah, this is no moral victory. No, 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 no. This is no praise. This is simply, I think we're shooting the wrong guy here. Players didn't execute on Sunday. Not coaches didn't coach. Players didn't execute. This isn't a scheme problem. This was players in the wrong spot. Plain yeah, and, and simple. You could say that all year, though. I mean, that's kind of something where if you are not a knee-jerk reaction person, and you knew what you have going into, you're going to have players who are not going to execute because, A, they don't have the experience to. B, you have some guys that may not be very good. You know, We're still 
as you're flipping this roster, you're going to flip it a couple of times before you get the guys you need in here. Sure. So, you know, it, you're right. I think just to say, well, this, you know, this better defense sucks. He doesn't know how to coach it. That's incorrect. I just think that, uh, you know, we've been complaining about this from week one and week two and all the way up where, you know, you see safeties taking bad, uh, angles. You see, you know, the secondary is lost. You see, you know, not in the right gap and things. And that's hopefully you're going to see as the season goes on and into next year, these things improving with experience and an increase of talent, but what's on the field right now, they are on, on for their end of the bargain. They're not doing a very good job. And I think to your point, that's a bigger problem than just saying this is a bad scheme. They're not being coached up properly. Yeah. I, I actually think that James Betcher coached a, a decent game and, uh, it's it's easy to point to a coach and say, get him out of here, let's get a new system, because that sounds like an easy thing. It's one thing, but it's not a one thing. And this is what we said at the beginning of the year, right? This is a really, really young defense for the most part, and there were going to be growing pans to begin with. These are all talented guys that were brought in in the draft and you know free agency, but they're young. And this was an assignment football game that takes experience and knowledge and discipline. That's the those are the things that young players generally lack, or not lack, but could improve on. I think the thing that people are kind of complaining about a lot is some of the guys that Betcher brought in. They're supposedly his guys, you know, the ex Arizona guys, and they're not holding their end of the bargain either. So you well, know, I would can, think not Marcus Golden. Besides him, I mean, he's obviously he's probably been. You say the best defensive player we've had this year? I think we said most consistent. Yeah, yeah. but, you know. No, sure, you can Bethea say about Bethay. Yeah. He's showing his age. You know, it's just they, they were brought in, and maybe the plan was to bring him in just to kind of help implement the system more than to, you know, necessarily be dominating forces to win games. And I think, I hate to keep falling back on this, but this is kind of a learning year. You know, and it's it's year two of the of the Betcher. I mean, this is not. Would you consider this the most complicated defense in the universe? It doesn't appear to be no. Right. So, I mean, I get it, bringing in his guys to help with this transition, but we're now in game twenty four of this transition. This uh, this defense should be the defense at this point too. So, I yeah sure. Um, but I mean. Going further into you know where where players didn't execute versus coaches not coaching, has someone been more disappointing this year than Evan Ingram? I mean, really uh, think about as far as expectations go and what we've seen so far this year. I would say, I would say him and Nate Solder, and we'll get to him in a minute. Yeah, as far as what we're kind of expecting and the lack of production we're getting from them, I would say. I would say Ingram too, because we've seen spurts of Ingram. We were like, "Damn, this guy is an uncoverable guy," and then a lot of time just kind of seems to disappear. He had one catch in this game, and it's somehow the one stat he has isn't the stat that was the biggest. The biggest stat was the major drop he has on the sideline, where he's wide open for a big play on a promising drive, and he killed it. And yeah. an absolute golden throw from Daniel Jones, too. By the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get many opportunities to succeed, you know, with 
a quarterback that's still trying to figure it out and is struggling. And, you know, when you have an opportunity to make a big play for someone who is a veteran on this team, he may be young in NFL age, but he's a, a veteran and a leader on this team. You need to make that play. There's no excuse. I, I've been wondering for a um, couple weeks now how the Giants are going to handle his fifth-year option. And obviously this is going to be a topic ongoing, but I, I, I guess I'll lay the groundwork out here because I've only said it on Twitter. I don't think we've talked about it at all, but I just get the feeling that even though I think Ingram is has world-class talent and uh, I like him personally, the way the Giants seem to be using him just doesn't seem to utilize his skill set, and I wonder if they have any intention of keeping him at all. I mean, we're seeing a lot of crossing routes and underneath shit to him. And sure, he can be a mismatch against the linebacker, and that's a good place to put him. But it doesn't really – I mean, we're seeing very little in the way of seam routes and you know deep out routes. Anything where he can really use his straight-ahead speed to beat guys, we're not, we're not even seeing drawn up. So I, I, I just – I wonder if this is just not the kind of tight end that Pat Shermer or Dave Gettleman really believes makes a difference in today's NFL. I, I don't know. I think we're going to have a discussion about Pat Shermer very quickly on this show about you know what he is, why he's here, is the, what criticism of him is justified and what really isn't. But uh, you know something, there's you can have a system all you want, but you also have the cards you're dealt with. And you have a weapon like that, the really good coaches adjust to what they have. And, you know, he might be, you know, next to Saquon Barkley, the best weapon this team has. And in a, against a team that's been shredded by tight ends all year, to have Ingram a non-factor, you know, you have to look at the head coach who is also calling plays as well. So let's get into Shermer. Yeah, uh, I mean, everybody's obviously pissed. I mean, we've been argue- we've been complaining about this guy since day one about some of the decision making he has, the the clock management, the uh, uh, you know, in red zones and decisions to go for it on fourth down and everything. And my question is, why exactly was he brought in here for? I mean. Was he brought in truly to be a great X's and O's guy who's going to win games out of nothing? Or was he really brought in here to be kind of like the developer of a quarterback? And, you know, whether, and at the time he was brought in, we had, it was before the draft, before the Barkley draft, and obviously before Daniel Jones was drafted. But this is not a head coach that a good team would hire to take them over the top. This is not a John Gruden who was brought in for the Bucks when Tony Dungy couldn't take them over the top. Uh, I, I just wonder what, you know, in the Giants' life cycle of where this team is now, is he doing the job that Gettleman and Mayer want as opposed to, well, he blew that game for this victory in a random week seven in a bad year. Does it make any sense what I'm trying to say, Grump? Am I just rambling? Um, I, I'm not sure I 100% agree, but I agree mostly with what you're saying. Um, I think I'm that... Pleased, I'm just pleased you understood what I was trying to say. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. It's you okay. know, the, the idea that Pat Shermer is brought in here to try and win now with a group of guys that's not complete yet and, and really just create a juggernaut out of nothing, 
is a fallacy. You know, that's not why he was brought in here. He was in here to, you know, bring a new staff along, a young staff. And, you know, this is a huge changing of the guard here. You know, we we have in uh, two seasons changed GMs, uh, coaches, both coordinators, and now franchise quarterbacks. And that's that's a that's as big of a changing of the guard as you can ask for, other than an ownership change. So, yeah. um, you know, you bring in a guy that can smooth that transition. It, this team was as low as it gets, and it doesn't just flip on a dime. It was it was bad for many years. This was not a uh, wow, a whole bunch of injuries that year, and that really sunk them. Like you can say about, you know. When Tony Romo went down for the Cowboys, you know how how devastating that was, and all it took was a couple of pieces on an already very good team with you know Elliott and a great offensive line. You get my point. You know this is a total rebuild. Despite whatever coach speak and GM speak to fans to make the seats filled in the process, ignore that shit. You know, go to games, enjoy them, watch them by all means. But and I'm going to get into that in a minute as well what yeah. coach speak and GM speak actually is because I had a, a pretty good debate today on Twitter with somebody who thinks that Dave Gettleman should be fired because he lied. And well. he, I mean, I get it. Dave Gettleman is a very polarizing person. He is a person that people may not necessarily love, but there is a large segment of the football fandom that absolutely hates him. They, you know, they love their players, and when a guy, you know, cuts people and just does it rather ruthlessly, he's going to be the bad guy. So, you know, we can get into this right now. But Dave Gettleman, what he said about Odell Beckham was, "We didn't sign him to trade him." That is not saying we are not going to trade him. Two different things, and quite frankly, you can't say what you really want to do. To a fan base, especially to a fan base that has suffered for the last, you know, five, six, seven years with bad football. You can never say you're doing a full rebuild. You can never say your favorite player is probably on the chopping block. You can't say these things. So, you know, it's a kind of an extreme case to say the guy should be fired for lying. That's silly. We all know that. But, you know. This is, you know, drastic things have to happen to this this organization. And, yeah, you may love an Odell Beckham. You may love, uh, you know, whoever it is on this roster. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is exempt from the chopping block to make this team better in the long run. So, you know, whether, you know, Gettleman saying something or Schumer's, you know, Schumer's saying something about a, a game plan or what he thought – 99% of it is bullshit. And the quicker you guys realize that and just not taking everything either at face value or so personally, you're going to you're going to live your life a lot better just being angry about things that have no bearing on reality. Well said. Um look, guys, Dave Gettleman is here to make this team better. Um if you truly think that we were any better last year than we are this year, then I don't know what you've been watching. I'm not saying that we're markedly better this year. I think there's areas you can say are much improved. Um, 
But if you think the Odell Beckham trade was so bad for this franchise, I, I, I don't know what football you've been watching unless you've just been playing gr- Madden. Yeah, Grump, the question isn't, is this team better this year than last year? The question is, is this team set up for longer-term success in the future now well, than it exactly, was last but year? But that's my point. That's, that's my point. This that's isn't, the this question. No, I understand that, but I don't think everybody else does. They're they're looking no, no, for the immediate. Not at all. Right. They're looking for the immediate. Like the we're we're even we'd be so much better if we had kept. No, we wouldn't be. It's not. This team is growing the right way, and it sucks to see. Look, I it, it absolutely. I mean, yeah, I absolutely I mean, loved we, going to games knowing that Beckham could take any play to the house. Any play, it could happen. And it was so fun and it was exciting. And personally, I love the guy. Antics aside, whatever conversations we've had about him, I liked him. And I still do. But I understand where this team is at now and what needed to be done, what needs to be done, how it needs to grow. Do I agree that he needed to go to make that happen? No, not at all. But for what we got in return and how it was used in order to make this team grow, it's a, it is a viable solution. That is paying and if they, off. And if they were very serious, if they were very serious about changing the culture and starting with a fresh slate, that factors into it as well. Of course. I mean, yeah, it's, it's all there. Think about this, it. is every, not, this is not being every, run into the ground, you know? Yeah. So. I, I get it. I, and, and Dave Gettleman has, is a personality that's not easy to like because he talks a big game. He's got a smart ass kind of demeanor. And that, that works when you can back it up. And until you back it up, it makes you look like a jackass. He personally doesn't care. He's got a Boston accent too. I mean that rubs – it's foolish, but that rubs people the wrong way. We heard it. We were at the town hall. Two different people said, I just hate that accent. I mean it's human nature. People like people and people don't like people. When you don't like people, you are going to use anything you can to prove your theory that you don't like the guy. And – you are not going to see the forest for the trees, what they're trying to do, because you've written them off already because you don't like them. And hey, that's fine. But don't go convincing everybody else that what everybody else is seeing, and it's even hard to see now because you're losing games at home to Arizona, and you're, you know, you're losing bad games, and you're two and five, and your season's over. But look at the infrastructure of this team. Look at the roster. It's, it's being built for greater success. It's not there yet. May not even be 50%. And even the pieces that are there still have their training wheels on it. And the next thing we'll talk about is Daniel Jones. That's another example. But is this team in a better position for long-term success now than it was this time last year or the day before Dave Gettleman became the GM? The answer Without is yes. Question. Without question. Look, right. look, before we get to Daniel Jones, let's go to the offensive line. Then we'll go to we'll go to Jones. The offensive line is my only other individual fart for the week. I mean, there were there were a lot of here and there things that just overall the players didn't play well when they needed to. But the offensive line really struggled to make Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley look any good. Um, and my my you know as this ties into to Gettleman and the discussion of are they better now than they were, you know, I read something that say today that said. You know, Gettleman came in here vowing to fix the offensive line. After two years, it's been a colossal failure. A colossal failure. As bad as it was yesterday, it was always week in, week out worse than that years prior. So I don't know what people were looking at. I, I see you had non you had non NFL players playing right tackle on this team last year. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> I mean, we have, we have, I would say, two cornerstone guards for the future, right? With with Will Hernandez, who's playing well, and Kevin Zeitler, who was traded for. Um, you know, they, a, a stopgap solution was brought in at left tackle because there was no left tackle on this team. There was none. And forget the contract. We, we say this weekend went out, so I don't need to go over that again. A left tackle was brought in who's A, not playing well, but B, is still playing better than what we had going on there. Still. Yes, still better. And, you know, right tackle was brought in for this year. He's playing okay, not great. But also remember, a seventh-round draft pick was used on a right tackle this year that I actually believe was supposed to be getting valuable reps in practice, building himself up to be a potential starter next year, but is on IR, I believe, with concussion, right? I mean, he's, he's the whole year is gone for him. Yeah, he's out for the year. Yeah, yeah. that's correct. I, I mean, there's only so much you can do in a short amount of time without focusing entirely on it. Um, this offensive line is not done. It wasn't done when, you know, when the draft was over. It wasn't done when free agency was over. This this line that we're seeing now, even though it's the projected starting line from when free agency ended, it was not done. This is not what, what was envisioned. It's just what is available at this time as we grow. Quite honestly, Grump, I think there's only two spots on this team that are quote-unquote done, and one of those may not be 100% locked in stone done. Running back? And defensive line? I was going to say in quarterback for the time being. Oh, Daniel yeah. Jones is gonna, going to be your quarterback. Now, if something by the miracle of God happens and we are able to get the number one pick in the draft and like a tour or something becomes available, all bets may be off with Daniel Jones. But in pretty much reality, you have your running back and your quarterback of the future on this team. Every other spot on this you know, position on this team – is still to me a work in process, progress and can be upgradable. So, yeah, this is not your team. No, and don't no, say no, no, no. like no. Gettleman. Gettleman signs a left tackle. Gettleman gets a uh, you know drafts a, a, a right guard. Gettleman signs a, a cornerback in the future. That's not like he doesn't you know wipe his hands and say here it is. I rolled out the team in the future. No, not at all. Exactly, and, and I'll be the the first one to tell you that the offensive line made Daniel Jones, who had a up and down game. You know, he he threw some absolute lasers and was starting to convert things on third down. I really, really rewatch. If you guys have NFL Game Pass, and you know, I'm not sponsoring anything, but I I encourage you to get it if you like this kind of shit, where you enjoy listening to this. You can watch a condensed version of the game with no commercials and no fluff that brings it down to about 40 minutes. Okay, rewatch that game and. Between, if you're watching that game without any of the bullshit in between, you'll see the Giants really truly looked like they were going to win that game. They were going to come back from a 17-point deficit in the first quarter and win that game. That's really what it looked like. I never thought that for a minute. And I'll, I'll, I'll rewatch it again, but I, ne- I never had that sense in the stadium. No, neither did I. Not in the stadium. Rewatch it. I'm telling you, up until eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, it truly looked like the Giants were just – they were going to not just take the lead but just keep going. Cardinals couldn't do shit on offense with the, an occasional third down conversion, and the Giants were driving down the field. They just weren't completing it. You know, it just little shit. There was a missed field goal, 
okay? Saquon Barkley takes the next one to the end zone. And then the bullshit started happening with turnovers. And the turnovers only really happened when Daniel Jones was in trouble. I will say his pocket movement, his time, his, his internal clock is still not quite there yet. But nor did I expect it to be. He has the tools to be a complete quarterback. And once he develops that internal clock for the NFL level and, you know, really truly knows the playbook where he's not waiting for things to open up. He knows where to go when things are covered, where to slide in the pocket. He'll get better. He's got the athleticism. It's the his fourth game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I am I am already beyond sick of reading the week by week good move, bad move, good draft, bad draft, future franchise. Did they make a mistake? Are they tying their hopes on him? All of this fucking nonsense. It's got to stop everybody. It's his fourth game. I mean, it's – I don't know if you read the article by Paul Schwartz in today's I New York I generally Post. don't read his work. OK. So I'm, I'm going to read the first you know, paragraph or two for you. The headline, we are seeing the painful downside of Giants rush to Daniel Jones. Fair enough. And we warned everybody. We were afraid if they brought him in before he was ready, he's going to struggle at times. And that's, yeah, so that's a fair one. Now we get into revisionist bullshit. If this is the first line, if Eli Manning were in the game, he would not get sacked eight times against the Cardinals. I don't know where what you pulled that Eli, from. What fucking Eli Manning did you, do we ever remember in 15 years being able to avoid pass rushes and things? Besides maybe one out-of-his-ass helmet catch in a Super Bowl. I mean, let's let's, fix, let's stick to reality what it was before Eli. You know, he's getting sacked eight times in that game yesterday as well. Next paragraph. If Manning were in the game in the third quarter when Chandler Jones easily shed a block attempt by tight end Evan Ingram, it likely would not have resulted in a sack and lost fumble as it did for Daniel Jones. Manning probably would have sensed the pressure and thrown the ball at one of the feet of one of his closest targets. Does anybody who listens to this show watch this team before 2019? How many times would Eli, at the slightest whiff of getting hit, fumble? More times I, I can count. If you're going to make your point that you're going to struggle with Daniel Jones, that's perfectly fine. Making some sort of side story about what the alternative was and how it wasn't this bad before with Eli is ridiculous. It's, the Giants did not make it's the Giants did not make this move to get better and win games right now. They decided the future is now. I mean, we debated this for weeks before, you know, and hey, it was wonderful that he played well against uh, against Tampa Bay and you know even against. Um, Washington, he had his moments, but this is exactly what we expected from a rookie quarterback who was not prepped all offseason to be the starting quarterback. You're going to see some beautiful throws. You're going to see a deer in the headlights. So, you know, I'm not going to really comment on Daniel Jones from a game-by-game, you know, over-the-top criticism for him because this is what I expected. And in the, you know, the arc of his career, we are in the infancy. But you guys have to stop with this every week judging, you know, are, are, are Shermer and Gettleman right to 
hang their future on this guy after each game. And Jesus Christ, enough. It's it's ridiculous. And, you know, I, I know I'm the one who gave Daniel Jones a fart. I was just being honest on a game-by-game level. That doesn't mean anything in the long term of things. I'm not ever saying he should be pulled for Eli Manning. I'm not ever saying that I didn't expect this either. I'm just calling it as I see it on a game level. It means nothing. Saquon Barkley can get a fart. Does not mean I don't that I think we should move on from him or anything like that. But but to, but like you said to to say anything of the matter of, you know, was it a mistake? You are not going to know if it was the right call or the wrong call for the next couple of years. So just chill out. Yeah. Everybody out there was begging for the move. You know, Eli, every incompletion, every overthrow, every underthrow, get Jones in, get Daniel Dimes in, get started, get do it. You know, you're going to make yourselves mental doing an assessment of the state of the program after every incompletion, interception, sack, misread, any of those things. If after, you know, 20 games, 50 games, you're seeing the same mistakes and you don't see his ability to learn from those mistakes and to mature as a quarterback, that, that's a valid conversation we'll have in 2022. But right now, we just have to live with it. I mean, that's, the decision was made. They're not going back. They're not bringing – the only reason they may bring Eli back into a game, if he is just you know, seeing ghosts like his other uh, stadium quarterback is, is, is doing right now, and he really needs just to sit for a minute because the game is going too fast. I have no problem with that at that point, but for a chance to win a game, that's not going to happen. So I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and it's not just the fans' fault; it's the media's fault, you know. And it's you're seeing it's, it's toxic what we're seeing the last couple of years. It's toxic. The expectations are unreal. Right? I mean, th- this expectation that just because he won a, a, a last-second game on a missed field goal in Tampa against a bad team, that suddenly everything's all right and there's, it's only up from here. It doesn't work like that. There are ups and downs. Eli Manning didn't even get his first win until how many games into him playing? Like I four think or five? Was Peyton Manning 1-15 his first year with the, the different Colts? T- I, I, I'll throw that one away a different time. Peyton Manning was brought in on a shit team. He was truly part of a rebuilding process. He was I rebuilding. To, I hate to say something, Grub. This is kind of a shit team. I mean, no, but I are, mean, when he when he was brought in, that was like step one of the rebuild. Daniel Jones is not step one of the rebuild. At least an offensive line was built for him. That 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 is not a complete Swiss cheese. You know what I mean? Like he has some chance of developing. Yeah, but I mean, but but the fact is, what I'm trying to get at is like. You are going to struggle with a rookie quarterback regardless who it is. Everything is not ice cream and puppy dogs. I mean, for every Pat Mahomes you see, there are, you know, a dozen quarterbacks. And and I'm not talking just guys who came in this second. We're talking first overall picks who struggled for a long time before they got their shit together. And their team was built around them for them to succeed too. So – yeah, I mean, the worst thing that could have happened for Daniel Jones was the expectations were, you know, too high after that uh, that Tampa Bay game. And he did play well in that game. It's not you know, yeah. just because of a missed field goal. He did play well, the best he's looked all year. But it is a very smart league. There's some very smart 
defensive coordinators in this league, and they're going to figure out things really, really quickly. And it's the cat and mouse game of, you know, adjusting from their adjustments to their adjustments. And as a quarterback who's swimming in his own head right now, and they all do it in their first year, it's very, very difficult to make the play that game when you're still trying to figure out your, your legs in, in this league. So, And I would say if he had a competent offensive line, the amount of turnover – what did he have? Three turnovers and two fumbles and a pick, right? I, 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 you know, I have no excuse for him for the pick. I mean, that one was brutal, and it came at a brutal time, right, right at the opening drive. But the two fumbles, I mean, they're just absolute clean, unblocked defenders. I mean, sure, he's got to learn to hold on to the ball, but I expect him to really struggle with holding on to the ball in those situations. You know, he's got to learn. I he's got to learn. That's, that's his- it's not an excuse, but I mean, I'm not surprised by that. That the pick was brutal, um, just, just totally awful. And I think he's a smarter player than that. But you know, he'll get better. I'm not, and 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 I've he'll seen... be. He will look better to the the fans that are ready to just blow their head off when this offensive line continues to grow, and it will next year, no doubt about it. Um. Oh, I want so. to touch. I want to touch on another uh, Gettleman thing that that's been criticized uh, more than I thought it would, and that's Golden Tate. Uh, Golden Tate was probably the most productive player on offense in this last game. And that's like two weeks in a row now. Um, it seems like, it that, seems like a strange thing. The hate for Golden Tate. Yeah, I mean, if you I, want I to get it because of suspension, but it was like it was part of the partly the suspension. And then it was also – it was, oh, they just signed him a whole bunch of money, uh, a Shepard clone who we just – they're not – they have no, crossover skill sets. But no, I mean that's that's brought up often as a criticism of the, I, the amount I of money he starts, was given. I, I think it starts immediately with the, well, why did you trade Beckham and all that money and turn around and spend a lot of money on a receiver? So I think that's a lot of it how it started. Then it's the analysis of like this is basically another Shepard. Then it became the suspension where it didn't seem like at the time it was announced and even while he was gone, people were just like, you know, a guy that was suspended for, let's say, domestic battery or something where they were just like, hate the guy. But it just seems like as soon as he came back, it's like, okay, here is probably, you know, could be our best weapon, you know, in the passing game. And people are just, they're just out on him for some reason. And he had a good game. He had a great game. I mean, if you look at if you rewatch the game, I mean, every critical third down is pretty much going to him. He made every he made stuff out of nothing. I mean, we we get that he's not a world class uh, wide receiver like Odell Beckham is. We get that. You know, he's not the guy who's going to have the potential to take everything to the house once the ball is in his hands. But we knew that when he was signed, and what he's good at is getting open and making things happen on third down. You pair him with a shepherd, which he hasn't been paired with really yet, and right. you have two guys that are good at that. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is, I think in a lot of people's minds, he's kind of like a uh, a placeholder. You know, we had back. I, I don't think for the deal he was signed to. Right, but I think a lot of people in their mind think he is. It's like until Daniel Jones is really the quarterback they think he's going to be, until they think this offensive line is what it needs to be. He's kind of just filling a, a space right now until those things happen. So I don't think people are really buying into what he can 
actually be. And I think Golden Tate's the type of receiver where people don't really know around the league what exactly he is. You know, he's not a deep threat. He's just kind of... You know who I think reminds me of? He reminds me of Imani Toomer. At this point in his career, he reminds me of Imani Toomer. Reliable in the right spot on third down, good footwork, good route runner. Also has this random ability to stretch the field when you don't expect it. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, it just looks like a Monty Tumor, who, in my opinion, f- for some of the guys up in the Giants' ring of honor, is he even up there? He's not up there, and I don't think he's a ring of honor guy. He's good. No, but- no, 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 but he's better than some of the guys up there. Say that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we'd have to bring in somebody who's been around longer than 1979 to kind of go through some of those other guys. But for the modern player... I don't think he's better than any of those guys that are up there. You don't think he's better than Jesse Armstead? I don't think Jesse Armstead should be up there <laughs> either. Yeah. Well, that, that's mean, my point. That's my point. My my yeah, point is yeah. if Armstead's up there, why isn't Tumor? But yeah, then let's just have everybody up there then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of my theory. Like you know, there there is a difference between an All Star and a Hall of Famer. You know, yeah. not every not every All Star is a Hall of Famer, and there is a line for sure. So. In any case, you know, Tate made this game on Sunday. He's what put this team in position to win it. And uh, not to toot my own horn, but we were real close if the Giants had scored the touchdown on that last drive instead of blowing it with two uh, two unblocked defenders. Real close to my prediction. I had 27-24. We'd have been looking at 28-24. But, which, kept you know, this game, which kept this team in the game with special teams and the block punt. And that is one of my other stars. You know, the special teams seems to be week in, week out, with the exception of New England, but every other week this week, a bright spot on this team. Yeah? Well, missing the field goal didn't, uh, that kind of offsets the, you know, a lot of the good uh, no. feeling we have, but that. that well, maybe that the good feeling, but it doesn't offset. Was, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the block punt was so perfectly done, per, perfectly executed, right down to you know the the millisecond. I mean, you have guys just taking on two blockers to free up some guy right up the middle, uh, make the block, and not only that, he was in position to recover it. But there so were two other guys. I mean, at the most opportune and that was on time. Our side. He, yeah, that it was, was right on in front of us. We, we could see the whole play developing. You can just see him come right up the gut like this. In your head, you're thinking this could be a block, and sure enough, boom. No, it wasn't even a block. I mean, that one hit him basically in the chest. It was so yeah. – yeah. so, I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like, you know, the the block that the Giants suffered against New England where he was able to get a hand in there, a, a full hand, and really get it back down on the ground, you know, that's that's bad. What Arizona allowed is inexcusable, you know, or what we created, however you want to look at it. Right. Um. And uh, some other guy that's getting flack that I actually want to give a star to, if I could throw a star, I'd throw one at, at him right now, is Grant Haley. Might be the best run defender on the outside that we have. And in a game like this, really showed up. It really, if you rewatch it play after play, he's if he's not making the play, he's forcing the play back inside. Really good at fighting off blocks for a guy who's like 5'10". Mm-hmm. Just, you know, think he deserves some credit, so I'm throwing it at him. It's tough to give credit in a game where you get shredded on the running game. It's I, mean, I get your point though. I, I, I just you know, I disagree that they were shredded on the running game. I just it's all for first quarter shit. It's all first quarter shit. 
Yeah, but I, that caused us to be behind the entire game. I mean, damage done. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, how it improved, but still, it was so bad that it's hard to, you know, overlook it. I, yeah, and I, I'm not trying to ignore it. Just, yeah, I, I just think it's one of those things where all 11 guys needed to play football, and for for the first for the first quarter, about nine to ten guys were playing football on defense. Let's uh um, let's discuss something on the show here that we had a pretty good debate about while we were at the game. Uh down seventeen nothing, there was a pass interference that wasn't called and Shermer challenged it. And we were pretty at complete opposite ends of the spectrum of was that a good challenge or not a good challenge? So I'll let you take the floor first and why you think that was a bad idea. Okay, so it was actually fourteen nothing, and that's that's a key point here. Um and fourteen, that's correct. Yeah. So, so what happened was there was an offsides penalty. It was on the Cardinals' end of the field. Kyler Murray threw a bomb, and what appeared to be to the seventy thousand people that showed up and stood in the rain with us, uh, everybody saw the same thing. We saw a Cardinals receiver slip with some very, very minor contact with Janoris Jenkins, and the flag comes out. the The DPI is called, and it's a killer penalty because it's like thirty five, forty yards. Um, and you know now the challenge flag comes out. There's a couple reasons why I think this is stupid, and one of them is the main one, right? The main reason why is because we're just not seeing this reversed. We're not, and um, the only event in which we're going to see DPI reversed is if they just completely whiff on the call. And I would think that it's more likely that they're going to reverse it. In favor of like not in this scenario, but in the scenario where it wasn't called and should have been called, I think it's more likely there, and it's going to have to be one of those things where they just completely flatten the fucking receiver like they did in the NFC Championship game, just a complete negligence of a non-call. I think it's a lot harder for refs to say, ah, well, you know, maybe that wasn't enough contact, and you know, there is precedent now at week seven that this is happening. And the challenge flag is thrown. I just want to – I know what your point is. Your point is if they score here, you can pretty much throw your hands up and say this game's over. A, I'm calling bullshit. It's the first fucking quarter. And to back up my point, the Cardinals were not able to score a touchdown. They kicked the field goal and this game was back in hand pretty quickly after that. You know, Before the half is up, we're looking at a uh, three-point game. So – I think there's evidence to my point that it wasn't worth it. Um, you have 2020 hindsight that it wasn't no, worth I, it. No, but I said it at the time. I said it then that it's only the first quarter. This game is not over if they score here. And, you you know, to me it was more of an annoyance. I don't think it's a huge mistake in the first quarter to waste a timeout, which is really the, the cost that you're that you're paying there. But it's just – to me it's just these, these slight – bits of incompetence like why bother man because even if you win you still get a five fucking yard penalty anyway you know it's not it's not as if the reverse here where you win that challenge and it's a turnover or something you know what i mean sure you know maybe in that scenario you do it but what we saw there in that play stupid now okay can i add the floor <laughs> yeah you go for first it. of all i mean to me the cost of it is a timeout in the first half you have two- i agree with that yeah you have two challenges in a game, so it's not like you're blowing your second challenge already. That to me that. is a, a 
that is a key spot in the game. Just be, simply for the fact that, you know, they score and it's 21 nothing. This game, that game is over. But they did it. <laughs> right, but you don't know that. You don't have hindsight when something happens before. Yeah, but you don't and know again, that for, they're going to score either. It's not like it was a scoring play. I understand that, but the odds of them scoring are a lot greater when they're all the way they have the ball deep in your territory for something that, you know, okay, the crowd booing is one thing. It's a hometown crowd, but we both saw it. Yeah. And like, what was I, that? I, I, yeah. So, I mean, again, if, if, if the penalty is no more challenges the rest of the game, that I could see. But you still have another challenge. And burning a first half timeout, who gives a shit? I mean, really, how many times have you seen a botched a uh, two-minute drill, the end of a half, gets screwed up because they ran out of timeouts in the first half. That, that's to me the cost is so in for doing it. Go, for, uh, I think you do it. And again, nothing was going right at that point, and this game was in danger of potentially being completely out of reach. And it wasn't just, you know, falling on the ground, pretending like you're hurt to stop momentum, where it was all obviously bullshit. It was a legitimate gripe. Now. To your point about they're just not overturning something, well, the fucking league better lay, lay out an edict saying that's what we're doing from now on. There may be some circumstantial evidence after six games, but I'm pretty sure that every coach is not watching every game and knowing the rate of this is happening. I mean, they put the rule in effect. The rule is a rule. You have the right to challenge it. They're just not going to enforce the rule. You know, change the rule to say something very egregious, like good parameters or what. But if not, don't have something that's just going to trick and sucker coaches for wasting timeouts and wasting things. I mean, if you know they're just not calling things, it, it, that's that's insanity and just something stupid this league does. They they have to set guidelines of what you know what is realistic or you know when you throw the challenge flag, have the refs huddle up with the coach and say, "Do you sure you want to do this?" Because we really something just to say though, oh, they're just not calling it, but that's a rule. That's horseshit. And that's something, you know, if umpire, uh, if officials aren't going to call it, that's a problem that you bring up with the union or something because they don't believe in it because they think it's sliding or something. I don't care. You can't just have a rule and just not enforce it. Well, okay. I'm going to throw in some concessions here and I'm going to concede some points to you. Okay. All right. So we agree on the cost, right? A first half timeout is not worth a lot of money. And um, I overreacted at the time at how big of a deal it was. It's not a big deal. Now, there's a reason why I overreacted, and I think it's valid. Uh, number one is, if if Pat Shermer had a good track record of decisions since we've seen him, this lone little mistake would mean nothing to me. It, w- it would be, oh, come on, don't do that. Whatever. I know this isn't going to work, but fine. But that's not what happened. You know, we he, I don't think he's won a fucking challenge yet. Since he's been the head coach, <laughs> do we think it was a mistake? I mean, is it something where I, I mean, it's I think like I, I, it's it's a waste. It's it's a mistake if you I knew it wasn't going to happen. So is it a mistake? Yes. Um, again, had it been a scoring play, had the situation been slightly altered, I can I can warrant it. Whatever. Um, the other thing is, listen, you you said you don't think head coaches are watching every game in the league. Fine, but they should know the track record of a new rule and how it's being enforced. 
I, I don't care. They don't have to watch. They just have to know. It's the head coach. You're the one with the challenge flag. You need to know that it's not being overturned. And fuck, they should know because everybody on Twitter fucking knows that it never gets overturned. So I don't want to hear that Pat Shermer doesn't doesn't know the precedent of the league. And we can debate you know, how bullshit it is because we both agree it's bullshit, right? I didn't think a flag should have been thrown in the first place. Upon review, I'm confirmed. I have seen probably upwards of 10 plays around the league so far that were so egregious and should have been overturned and weren't. And I do believe that the league doesn't like that this rule is in place. It was put in place to placate a certain fan group and maybe one or two owners. And now they put it in place, are deliberately tanking it so that it can be removed and everybody can move on. Now, is that horseshit? It's absolutely horseshit. You are justified in saying it's a fucking rule. You put it in place play the rule. The rule is the rule. You're right. But the fact is it's not. So it is what do it you is. Think, do, you think, do you think that was pass interference? No. Not at all. I have I watched it live. I watched the replay live and then I just rewatched the game. It's not pass interference. Yeah. It, I, I agree with you there. It, it is bullshit. It was horseshit. I said it live. Uh, you know as far as the challenge flight goes it was a waste. It wasn't going to happen. Is it a mistake? You know, it turned out to mean nothing, right? It turned out to mean absolutely nothing. Again, in a vacuum, fine. In Pat Shermer's record of decision makings, it's just another bit of evidence there. And that's what's frustrating for me. Again, I I did overreact, but we still disagree on if it were me as head coach, I'm not throwing that flag. See, I felt my whole thing about it was I felt it was a time of desperation. I felt, you know, you're down 14. You showed nothing to this point. They're about to get into deep field, you know, field position, which, you know, again, we don't know how it would turn out. But if that game went to 21, the game is over. And for a a justifiable challenge for something that appeared to be incorrect, all those things to me added up as you go for it and you take your chances. Now, to your point, if they are not going to continue not to call this, something has to be done. A grievance yeah. has to be filed with the league. You know, a grievance filed with the the refs, uh, the the uh, the, uh, the referee union or something. I don't know what it is, but we can't have. Like I said, you're basically suckering coaches into wasting timeouts. Yes, it makes I agree. the game longer and slower because you're waiting around for this and more annoying. Uh, it's more annoying to have I, a rule I, that's not being enforced. And also, you're you're making the fans were super fucking pissed after that. Not because he challenged it, because we all think that was pass interference. Agreed. And it was, and, and to Pat Shermer's credit, he has for weeks now said that he is upset with the rule and that he's keeping his mouth shut. But one day he's going to open his mind about it. He's been vocal I mean, about how much did, he dislikes it. I mean, now we have hindsight. Yes, that play had really no impact on this game, and they didn't lose because. You know, it was a wrong decision, and they subsequently scored, and that was the end of it. But that's not the point. I, we can't live in this limbo world, you know. And I, something has to be done with this league. To, I don't know, it's how you can simplify things or just make it more fan friendly without having wrong calls. And that's the problem. A lot of this league, a lot of the rules are subjective. They're not. Fair or foul, inbounds, outbounds, you know, home run, not home run. A lot of it relies on, you know, the 
the opinions and the views of the people on the field. And, you know, I've done this rant too many times now. I'm sure you're all sick of it. If you're going to use replay effectively and you go to replay, I think you wipe out the call on the field originally. And those people, they have the better angles, they have the better views, they have the better technology. That's their call. Will we ever get there? I don't think so. But that, to me, makes, solves a lot of these problems. I think the AAF was a big step in the right direction that just wasn't picked up by the NFL by having an equal parts official with the replay camera. Yeah. Live yeah. and in, in the moment, now that, live. And that may be something that, that you know the XFL may be picking up. It might be something that college picks up first or the NFL may still do it because they just want the right calls. And that's all everybody wants. And in this league where gambling is more important now and there's more – and more money involved in this league from TV ratings to player salaries to you name it. You want to get it right. And they'll do anything they can to get it right. And maybe even at the expense of the fan experience, but getting it right is the most important thing. So I, uh, this, you know, just to be spiteful, not overturn things because they don't want it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's 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 asinine. Um, a footnote in all this after the game is, as of today, Tuesday, um, the Giants signed free agent Dayon Buchanan. Um, we don't have a whole lot to say about this because we don't know any of the terms of the deal. I don't know the length of the contract, how much he's getting paid, what the deal is. But, um, you know, I I'll say I like this move for now because it's a guy I think can plug and play. I don't think he'll be a massive impact player. I think he's been slowly on the decline for years. But, um, you know, we, we lost the starter in Ryan Connolly, quite frankly. And I do right. think that Ryan Connolly would have made a huge difference in this Arizona game had he been able to play. Um, and I think that he helps solidify that inside linebacker spot where it's clear that this brass doesn't really love Tay Davis. They've decided to go with David Mayo, who... I, I challenge anybody out there who have ever heard of him before a couple weeks ago. <laughs> um, and Alex Ogletree, yeah. which we all know is a stopgap solution at linebacker. So right, exactly. Th- some, some, some rotation needs to be in there. I, I might change my opinion based on the contract. I have to see it, the details first. But if it is a one-year deal for a small amount of money, I will like it. I'll probably like it more if it's a two-year deal just to cover uh, a, a, any gap that there is next year. Remember, just because you sign a guy doesn't mean he has to start. Having a quality depth player is the most important thing. I mean, it was a Tom Coughlin quote is that the 53rd guy in the roster is like the most important or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, people are on both sides of this. Some people are really thinking he's going to come in here and turn this franchise around, and other people think that he's a bum off the street, and I think it's really somewhere in between. Yeah, at this point, these are little these are moves on the margins to stop bleeding and just try to solidify things. They're not difference makers. And uh, hey, this is one of those things where, when as soon as he was released, you know, Giants Twitter was all over it, saying Giants, yeah. Giants, Giants, and it actually happened. So, yeah. Um, this episode's really, really long, and I don't have much else to say. What about you? Huh. <sighs> You know, uh, I think a game like Arizona it kind of puts everybody where they really need to be what the rest of the season is. And this release, unfortunately, you know, the pipe dreams of making the playoffs are over. 
This is not even if they somehow, you know, if Dallas loses four of their next five and Philly stinks. Look, guys, this is not a playoff team. This doesn't deserve to be in the conversation for the playoffs. This is about the arduous, long grind, frustrating grind of turning this franchise around. And, you know, hot air you're going to say about firing coaches. It's not going to happen this year. I mean, before any real serious discussion of firing Pat Shermer, there's going to be a lot of steps before that happens. He's going to be asked to no longer call his own plays. They're going to fire a defensive coordinator. All of these steps will happen before they decide to, to, to fire the, the coach. It's a franchise that does not like to make change. They try. They like to have stability. Um, they already blew it with a, with a hire right before McAdoo. They're going to try to make this work, and they're going to make it work when once he gets the right pieces. And if they decide that he's not the right guy when – you see Daniel Jones in his second and third year and the offensive line is better and the defense is solidifying. Fair enough. But his job right now is to be a quarterback whisperer and develop Daniel Jones and, you know, install a different culture. Now that's up for debate and we'll see how that plays out, but stop crying every week. Fire this guy, fire that guy. Not going to happen. Says the guy who said, Eli Manning is going to start until they're out of the playoff hunt. But, you know, <laughs> I feel more secure about this one than I did the other one. If you're going to do any crying, do it uh, on Twitter at football underscore grump, and I will be sure to, <laughs> to uh, give you a nice pat on the back and pacify you to sleep, and you'll, you'll calm down. I mean, that's a lot of what this show is, is getting people off the ledge, even when uh, people have a reason to be excited. So... Um, <laughs> One thing not to cry about was that fantastic segue. That might be in my uh, – when they do the Marconis this year for a Outstanding Achievement in Radio and Podcast, I'm going to nominate that one. That was fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I owe it all to you. <laughs> yeah. You can find me as always on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. Life is calming down slowly. Uh, obviously, we're going to be talking about the Giants. We're talking about my 7-1 Florida Gators getting ready for in uh, – 12 days, big top 10 battle with Georgia for the SEC East. So I'll be talking a lot of Florida Gator football and a lot of New York Giants football. I'm going to try to avoid talking about the Knicks because we have enough problems to deal with already in this world. So that's at the Cranky Fan. Give me a follow. Say hi. And as always, this show is always available on SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, Google Play, iTunes, just about everywhere you can find it. But it's also available on Twitter at Just Giants Pod. Um, so give that a follow, and it might be a little bit easier for you to track. Uh, all the episodes are listed there as well. Yeah, give us a subscription, you know, or give us a sub- or subscribe. Yeah, Frankie yeah. can talk tonight. Yeah, why try to find us every week when all of a sudden you wake up on a Tuesday morning and a Friday morning and you see our two ugly mugs and hear our uh, raspy voices, but. Uh, we appreciate all the, uh, the the following and support, and the, and we'll we love debating with you guys whether you agree with us or disagree with us. You know that's why we're here. That yeah. makes it interesting. Yeah, the conversations with you guys uh, are one of the bright spots of my workday. So I, I absolutely do <laughs> love it, even if it's something minor. Yeah, sure. All right, everyone, go Giants! Go Giants! <laughs>